most evangelical Christians are familiar with the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson really became a household name in the 70s during uh, President Richard Nixon's Watergate scandal. Scandal. He was, um, I almost called him a scoundrel, I didn't mean to do that. In the Watergate uh, scandal, he for seven months served, in, uh, served his time in the penitentiary. And during that time, Brown University educated, brilliant man that he was, he surrendered his life to the Lord and wrote a book about it entitled Born Again. Uh, Chuck Colson passed away just about three years ago to this day. And um, what a mighty champion, kind of like an Adrian Rogers, a mighty champion stalwart for the faith. But before he passed away, he preached many wonderful messages and wrote um, numerous books, was a prolific author. His prison uh, ministry, prison fellowship, is known today all throughout the world, helping those uh, who are incarcerated. The Angel Tree ministry that we participate in is an offshoot, is a tributary to his uh, ministry, Prison Fellowship. A number of years ago, I read his book entitled, How Now Shall We Live? And it's a fascinating book, and I encourage you to to read that book, How Now Shall We Live? It's not a very um, small book. It's about yay thick. It's very large. But he talks about uh, the cultural conflict in which we find ourselves, even in, especially in our nation. Another book he wrote called The Kingdoms in Conflict. And in that book, he describes how there are two very powerful operating kingdoms in the world today. There is the kingdom of darkness, there's this kingdom of of the evil one, and then there's the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the closer we get to the time of the Lord's return, those two kingdoms will continue uh, to clash. He shared the story, unfortunately, it's a true story. In 1896, St. John's Episcopal Church in New York City was founded. And like most churches uh, in the history of our nation were founded on the Lord, on the Scripture, on the exclusivity of Christ, and so forth, on on the Bible. And yet, uh, in just a hundred years, this this church, uh, Colson writes, welcomes everybody now from rabbis, imams, Buddhist monks, secular politicians, atheist scientists. And during one feast in October, an ark load of animals received blessings from the high altar, including a llama, an elephant, and a goose. Now, I just got to tell you, I I don't know what I would do if y'all started bringing llamas and elephants and geese into our church for me to give a pastoral prophetic blessing over those animals. Of course, Newsweek magazine thought this was just amazing. Uh, They thought this was just the best thing since sliced bread. And they said, quote, the dean, the pastor of St. John's, seems to be reaching for a theology as high and as wide as the cathedral he serves. And they shared that with great exclamation and joy. Unfortunately, many churches are, have, and are continuing to depart from uh, the pure teaching of the Word of God. And I just want you to know, if you're a guest here at Great Hills, there are no blessings of animals, and there will never be an Iman or a Buddhist monk preaching the sermon on Sunday morning, okay? Now, we say that not out of a condemnation or a mean, polemical, harsh, inimical spirit. No, we just believe in the exclusivity of Christ. We believe in the Word of God, and we're going to stand strong on that, as unpopular as it is today. And listen to this. It's going to continue to be unpopular until Jesus comes again. But we have to be strong. We have to be, have fortitude. We have to have fidelity and faithfulness to the Word of God, to the authenticity and the veracity and the truthfulness of the Scriptures, and hold these precious truths in our hearts and in our minds 
in a compassionate, uh, conservative way that brings honor to Christ and brings honor to all peoples, even though we may uh, disagree with them. And by the way, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago down at, at the Capitol before this committee, I said, just because we as Christians um, disagree does not mean we are discriminatory. I want you to think about that for just a minute, okay? <laughs> think about that just a second. Just because we are in disagreement does not mean we become discriminatory. So in the book of Revelation, uh, how can I prepare you for what you're about to hear? Uh, Revelation chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 6 through 13. Woo, this is strong, strong passage of Scripture. Yes, it's a message about uh, judgment, it's a message about hell, but it's also a message of about blessing and how God, He honors His people and, and they are blessed eternally, perpetually, blissfully. We're going to be blessed in Christ in heaven as we make our way through this earth and as we are faithful to the Lord. So I want you to listen to these words, and what we're going to do today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to read a passage of Scripture, then we're going to stop and study it and digest it, and hopefully by the Spirit's empowering, try to unpack the truth in that text, and then we'll move to the next point. We're going to look at three different things. We're going to look at the angels and their message. We're going to look at the unbelievers and their punishment. And then finally, we're going to look at the believers and their uh, reward. So first of all, we're going to look at this message of the angels as they preach in Revelation. Look at 14, chapter 14. Begin with me in verse 6. Okay, if you're ready, say amen. amen. All right, so this is, this is intense. This is strong as goat's breath. That's really strong, halitosis. So I, I'm telling you, this is, this is deep, powerful Word of God that we're about to read, all right? So stay with me, and here we go. Yes. I'm excited. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And the angel said with a loud voice, now remember, he's flying in the midst of heaven. And everybody hears this angelic voice when he says, fear God, fear God, and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, now here comes another angelic messenger, this preacher. He says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So first of all, we're going to look at these angels and the messages that they preached now remember the time frame will be in the future, in the future known as what Jesus called the Great uh, Tribulation. This is a time of great sorrow and woe. This is a time where most of the inhabitants of planet Earth have departed from any kind of faith in Jesus, and they have placed their faith in what is known as the anti-Jesus or the Antichrist, who will set himself up to be God in the flesh and demand that people worship him. And when they don't worship him, when they don't take his mark of his name, of his nature, of his image on their forehead or on their, on their arm, if they don't take that mark of the beast, then they are going to be subjugated to much punishment and eventually to martyrdom. So this message is entitled, One Last Call for Salvation. In God's wrath, He remembers His mercy. And it's as if God is saying, you're not listening to the human preacher, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a heavenly messenger above, 
And that messenger is going to preach to the inhabitants below. And by the way, people are going to be okay with that. They already believe in aliens, all right? Almost every Hollywood executive believes there's alien life out there somewhere. So when that alien comes, that, that other creature comes in this message, this angel's going to come, and it's going to be a powerful message of believe, repent, turn to the Lord. This is your last opportunity. When you look at the text, it's fascinating. I want you to look at verse 6. It says, and this angel preaches the everlasting gospel. The Greek literally reads, euangelion, euangelizo. It's the same word used twice. One in the noun form, euangelion is the gospel, the good news of the message of the gospel. And then euangelizo means to preach. So in verse 6 when it says, the everlasting gospel and he preaches it. What is the gospel? The gospel is the life of Christ, His amazing, precious, powerful, sinless life, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and His call to repentance and believe on Him. That's the message that the angel is going to proclaim in the heavenlies, and everyone has an opportunity. They look up and they can say yes to Christ and no to the Antichrist, or they can do just the opposite. Notice that the angel calls it the everlasting gospel. I want to tell you something, guys, there's only one gospel. There's, there's not many ways to God. There is one way to God, and He has spoken with great finality and great fortitude and great truth when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless He comes through me. As I am preaching these words, guys, it's just a strange thing preaching the gospel in America today. There's almost a holy hush even at Great Hills Baptist Church because there's almost this reticence. There's almost this hesitancy. There's almost this, can you really say that? Today, can you really preach that today in America because everybody is so open-minded. Everybody's got a way, and their way is just as valid as my way. So, Brother Danny, you may need to tone down the rhetoric because Jesus might not be the only way. I want to tell you something, friends. He's it. He's the only way to God. <clears throat> if, if there was another way, I would share that way with you. But there is no other way, but that's so myopic. That's so provincial. I thought you had a PhD. What does it stand for? Post hole digger or something? What, what, what is your deal? No, I do have a PhD. It's a doctorate in philosophy. And, and I'm, I'm trying to share with you that you, you don't have to check your brains in at the front door. You can have a vibrant faith and you can have a mind that is dedicated to the will and the way of God. In fact, in the history of mankind, the greatest minds used to be the preachers in the pulpits. In our country, the preachers, the pastors were the most educated and most revered. And I'm telling you, there's not much reverence and there's not much, as much education behind the pulpit today on both accounts. This, God uses, God can use anything. He can even use me, a country boy from Alabama. He is using this angel who's preaching this everlasting gospel. It says every nation, every tongue's going to hear it. The word is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic. Look at this text in Matthew 24. This is a fascinating text, and I'm about to show you this, this text is going to be fulfilled. I believe it's going to be fulfilled during the Great Tribulation. And this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, will be preached in all the world as a witness to the ethnos, to all the ethnic people groups on planet Earth. And then... Then the end will come, but not until then. 
The gospel is going to be heard in all the lands, all the tribes, tongues, nations of the world. They're going to have an opportunity. They're going to hear it. Most are going to reject it to their everlasting punishment, but many, many, praise God, will believe. Notice that in verse 7 it says, this, this angel says with a loud voice, he, does, he gives three aorist imperative verbs. And just like a staccato, a rhythmic staccato, boom, 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 he says, fear God, give glory to God. Verse 7, His judgment has come and worship Him. Three imperative commands, fear God, give Him glory, and worship Him. To fear God means to revere Him, to honor Him, to recognize Him as the one true living God. To give Him glory, one writer says that's another way of saying repentance. When you give God glory, you acknowledge His lordship, His kingship. You acknowledge His sovereignty. He is the reigning, ruling monarch, the loving despot of the universe. And you give Him glory by saying, I am sorry for my sins, and I'm going to worship you instead of worshiping me and all these other false gods and these pseudo-gods, and especially that idiot Antichrist. I'm not going to worship him. I'm going to give you glory, God. I'm going to fear you, God, and you alone. And then finally he says, and worship him. Give him allegiance. Bow down to him. Then verse 8 says, another angel came in right behind him. My land, can you believe this? And, And he says, He says, fallen, fallen, the great city Babylon has fallen. And and before that, though, in verse 7, I almost went too fast. I don't want to miss this. It says, worship him. By the way, if you're not offended by now, you're about to get really offended, okay? I have the gift of offense. I just, I do. I just, some of y'all sitting over here, you know, I don't don't mean to be offensive. I'm, I'm just, well, here it goes. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Who believes that? Hardly anybody in academia intelligentsia believe that. I would say most people in America, universities and colleges, and, and probably even seminaries, do not believe in a benevolent, creating, powerful God. They believe in this macro senseless, purposeless force called evolution. And that angel is saying, you you got that wrong, he created it all. The oceans, the seas, the springs, the earth, the mountains, it's to this God you owe your allegiance and to worship Him. He's appealing to what, what Thomas Aquinas called the classical arguments for the existence of God. You remember him, the Summa Theologica, the great medieval Catholic theologian who said, God has put a fingerprint on the cosmos, and he he gives these arguments. Number one is called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. There is a cosmos for every cause. There has to be an original first cause. We've got this earth over here. There had to be a cause. Who did it? Did evolution do it, or did God did it? God must have done it. It's too amazing. Then he called it the teleological argument for the existence of God. It's so fascinating when you study planet earth. It's almost like it's been hardwired. It's like it's somebody created it because you got all these physical and chemical and, and natural laws, thermodynamics, and all these laws that just operate with amazing Amazing mathematical precision and perfection. And Thomas Aquinas says, teleos is Greek for purpose. It had, somebody had to make it with a purpose. And then there's these other arguments called the ontological and the moral argument. What I'm saying is, 
God has proof. He has evidence. And this angel, he appeals to this cosmological, teleological argument for the existence of God in verse 7. And then he keeps on preaching and he says, and Babylon has fallen, Babylon has fallen. What does that mean? I believe Babylon is going to be a city and a force. By the way, you know where Babylon is today, don't you? It's modern-day Baghdad. It's, it's Iraq. And somehow it may be over there or somewhere else. There's going to be this city, this city created for these purposes. And I also believe it's going to be this amalgamation, this combination of politics and religion. And it's going to look like just all amalgamated into one where if you've got any kind of conviction or real stance about you, you're going to be persecuted because we're all going to be one. And I'm telling you guys, there are people who are going to live their dying breath until they make sure that all the religions come to one so that there's a religion of peace and we'll have one guy. We just want one charismatic, cool, good-looking man to come and lead us in religion, in politics, in economics, and he will come. And he is coming. And our world is ripe for it. And I feel like a, a voice just crying out in the wilderness. I feel like I'm so alone when I say, beware and be ready for that man is coming. Don't believe him. By all means, do not worship him. He's not the Christ. There's only one Christ. Christ died. He was buried. He arose from the dead. One, one preacher put it this way, and I'll tell you who it was in just a moment. He says, have you ever heard of a fire and brimstone preacher? That is a person who preaches about the eternal damnation that awaits souls who have rejected Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, that is all just symbolic, isn't it? For your sake, I hope it is not symbolic. If you die and go to hell, the symbolism is always weaker than the reality. For instance, what is more beautiful, a painting of a sunset or the sunset itself? The painting is the symbol of the reality. Whatever it is, you do not want to experience what the Bible calls fire and brimstone. End of quote. That's Adrian Rogers. Oh, we could bring a guy like that, but God would bring many more Adrian Rogers who would preach like that. And by the way, not to discourage you, but why does this sound so strange, a message like this? Boy, I'm just getting so excited and getting so ahead of myself. I'm missing a whole page in notes. It's on the floor. There's my notes. Okay, let me make sure I'm, I'm right. Okay, good. I got all excited. I was thinking, where's my notes? I thought... Ah. Okay. Okay. This is fun because uh, this happened to me in preaching class when I was in seminary. Same thing happened, except all my notes went all over the floor. And it just messes me uh, because all my sermons are typed out and memorized, and I just have these for quotes. Unless they fall on the ground, then I'm really in trouble. Okay, so that's number one. The angels and their message. Okay, number two. Here's the unbelievers and their punishment. This is verses 9 through 11. Let, let me read this. Let me get going quickly here. 9 through 11 says, A third angel followed them, and he said with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, okay, and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. 
which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. This person will be tormented with fire and and therion brimstone, this burning incense in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of there, the antecedent for there are those who reject Jesus Christ. The smoke of their torment, torment, it ascends forever and forever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. What a somber, sobering word from the Word of God. If you reject God's final authority, His answer to your sin problem, and you reject Jesus Christ and you open yourself up to all the other gods and goddesses, and especially this Antichrist, then God says you will suffer, and your suffering will be very intense. It's just like Paul when he said, in flaming fire, God takes vengeance on those who do not know Him, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So let me make sure I'm understanding you right, Brother Dan. In 2015, in our postmodern and borderline post-Christian, anti-Christian culture, you still believe that there is a God who holds me accountable for my life, and if I don't repent and turn to Him, then I'm going to hell. That, that's, that's right. You say, well, I, I have not heard that before. I, I'm, I'm sorry. This is, this is strange. I mean, I thought that was old yesteryear kind of preacher. What, what preachers? What, what do you mean by that? As a guy at the, uh, Northwestern University, he did a survey of preachers in denominations and asked them, how many of you preachers still believe in hell? Ninety-six percent of congregational ministers said, I do not. Ninety-six percent of Episcopalians says, I don't either. Ninety-two percent Methodist, eighty-five percent Presbyterian, fifty percent Baptist, and thirty percent Lutheran. Thank you, Martin Luther. Amen. So, the reason it's so scary to you and the reason it's so a, a theological anomaly It's because we don't preach it anymore, because most of the guys standing behind this desk don't believe it anymore. And you will not believe something, you will not preach something you do not believe. But y'all got stuck with me. You got me. And we, and I get to preach. Yeah. And you got stuck with him for 40 years, who who preached the same gospel. I guarantee you Michael Lewis believed this. I mean, he believed in heaven. He believed in hell. All, the, all your pastors have believed this, and, and we, we hold this to be true, not again, not, and not, I, I tell you, what, what would be more sinister? For it to be true and not to tell you. That to me is a whole lot more polemical and sinister than just to omit it and hope that none of it is true. The last thing I want to share with you, and it's, it's good news, so catch your breath. Believers and their rewards. This is so good. Look at verses 12 and 13. That's all we have time for, and we'll, we'll come back next time. By the way, not Mother's Day. I'm not going to preach on hell on Mother's Day, okay? I'm just, <laughs> it's all good. 
Whew. So we're, we're going to preach a different sermon next week, all right? And I'm excited about it. In fact, I'm almost finished it. I've been working on it hard this week on Psalm 42 and 43. I'm really excited about it. But anyhow, verse 12 says, here is the patience, the hupomonin, the, the endurance. If you will, write the word perseverance. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who obey. They keep the commandments of God. And here are those who have faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, write these words. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Remember the tribulation saints. They're going to die, but they're going to die in the Lord. And yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So what we're talking about here are believers and their uh, rewards. And the three things I want you to notice with me, and I have this in your, in your outline here. We just left them blank, and I'll go through them pretty quickly. The first one is they persevere. This is the mark of the believer. The believer perseveres. He has patience, steadfastness. He, he says no continually to the Antichrist. He says no to the pseudo-gods of this world. And, he's, he's, and this person's a lot like you guys, that you're faithful to Jesus. It's costly. It costs some of you your job. It's going to cost some of you maybe even your life, and, and yet you still persevere, and you still are, are honoring the name of Jesus, and you're being faithful to Him. I, 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 love, I love this verse. Here are the persevering saints of God. I love people who do not quit. There's just something about me that I'm so attracted to people who have this raw tenacity. They want to start well, and they want to finish, finish well. And I want to be, I want to be like that. I, years ago, I read this huge tome on uh, Peter the Great, who was the Tsar of Russia in the 1700s. And he was, if you never read Robert Massey's Peter the Great, you, you ought to read it. Peter the Great was six foot eight, and St. Petersburg in Russia. Peter the Great was a formidable foe. He was a leader. And, and at this time frame, in the early 1700s, his arch enemy was a man by the name of Charles XII. Charles XII, I'll give you a prize if you can be the first one who knew, who knows what kingdom he, what country did he lead, Charles XII. Anybody? That's a good guess, but no. It starts with an S. Did anybody say Sweden? Okay, I see that hand right there in the camera. The cameraman said, Sweden. Okay, <laughs> he's waving at me going, that's right, it was me. So Peter the Great is, is on the run, and, and Charles Twelfth is chasing him. And Charles Twelfth is like this, he, he, he just won't quit. L listen to what Massey writes. He says, at dawn on November the 13th, the arrival of a thousand cavalrymen expected from Rival, the, the expedition set out. The columns following the blue and yellow flag included every man fit to march, all 10,000 of them. The conditions were as predicted. They were appalling, mired by the rains, marching in slick, deep, thick, syrupy mud, ravaged countryside. There was no fodder for the horses, no food for the men except those who carried it in their knapsacks. Throughout the march, a steady cold November rain drenched the men to the skin. At night, when the temperatures dropped, the rain turned to flurries of snow and sleet, and the ground began to freeze, and they marched on, and Charles the Twelfth 
with his men sleeping out under the open sky with the rain and the snow trickling down on his face, just like the face of his comrades. Ooh, man, I can follow a guy like that. I can follow somebody like that who has that, that undaunted, raw courage, that persevering spirit. Mm, mm, listen, listen, listen. If you do not have something to whom, to which you can give your undying allegiance, you have never lived. You've got to have a cause. You've got to have a person. And I introduce to you the cause of all causes, the person of all persons who lived a lovely life, who died on a cross and arose from the dead, who offers forgiveness of sin, eternal life to everyone who will believe upon Him. Mark this down. If you don't make Him your cause, you will have another cause, and it will not be near as worthy as Him. Oh, I want to say a whole lot more about that, but I've got to move on. Number two, not only do they persevere, but they obey. The litmus test for a true follower of Christ is to obey the commandments of God. I want to say that one more time. The litmus test of a true follower of Jesus is they obey God. They obey Him. Number three, they believe. I'm still in verse 12. Here is the patience, the perseverance. Here is the obedience of those who keep His commandments. And finally, these are the ones who have faith, and they believe in Listen, guys, these are, these are guys, it's not very popular to believe in Jesus. You think it's not popular to now and today in Austin, Texas. Can you believe what it will be like in Austin, Texas during the Great Tribulation or Paris, France or London, England or New York? Can you imagine any of these great cities anywhere in the world? It just seems like the world has fallen prey to the Antichrist, and yet God is never without a witness, and He raises these people up, and they believe, and they are marked by perseverance, they're marked by obedience. And they're marked by faith to believe. Why does it always come back to that? Why does Christianity always boil back to, but do you believe? So, I've become fascinated with this fellow named James Lawrence. He's known as the Iron Cowboy. I don't think this guy's in his right mind. This is what he's going to do. He's going to compete in 50 triathlons in 50 days in a row in 50 different states in the United States of America. Now, just just in case you don't know what a triathlon is, not the the little ones like I did yesterday. I did a small one, a little trial. Couldn't hardly get out of bed this morning, but I I did it in preparation for another triathlon I'm going to do. Not, not, Not this. 2.4 miles swim, 122 miles bike riding, and then run 26 miles. In one day, he's going to do that for 50 days in a row. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think he can do it. I I, I just don't think that's that's possible. But he believes. And listen, listen to this. One writer says this, preparing to tackle this seemingly impossible, he's a father of five husband of one, by the way, I just wanted to add that in there. He's the husband of one, father of five. He's married to a lady, by the way, too, which is wonderful. And he's a two-time Guinness World Record holder. 39-year-old James Lawrence says, there's no stopping what I'm about to do. I do not plan on failing. There isn't an option B. I'm going to do this. But I got chill bumps on me. Just thinking. And another lady wrote this about it. She said, Lawrence has dedicated his life to spreading the word. 
that no goal is too big as long as you believe. As long as you believe in your journey and you have the conviction to see it through, end of quote. And my comments on that were, oh, that this would be said of followers of Jesus Christ. We believe, and we're going to persevere, and we're going to serve Him come what may. In verse 13, it closes with these words, you're blessed, you'll have your rest, and you'll have your rewards in heaven. And I want to go through and just close out with this final quote. If you want the rest of it, it's lots of pages of notes, and maybe one day I'll put all these notes in a book. But for now, let me, let me just close with this, with this word here. By the way, the word blessed in verse 13 is the word makarios, which means to be happy and to rejoice. And I'll close again with Adrian Rogers' quote when he said, Saints who have died are now leaping, dancing, and praising God. Heaven is all that the loving heart of God can desire, the omniscient mind of God can conceive, and the omnipotent hand of God that can perform. That is what heaven is. Consider the artistry that God put into heaven. The God who sculpted the wings of the butterfly, blended the hues of the of the rainbow and painted the meadows with daffodils is the same God who made heaven, and blessed are those who are in Christ, for they will rejoice. Like the old song says, it's going to be worth it all. All the toil, all the travail, all the overcoming temptation to see His face, to be in heaven above with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to live in His presence perpetually forever. It will be worth it all. We'll, we'll rest from our toils and our labors, and who knows, maybe even our martyrdom here on earth. In my invitation, though, I need to ask you one question. Will you have anything from which to rest in heaven? Will there be any toil and labor and difficulty that when this life is over, you can say, that life is past? And I gave my absolute all, I gave my best for Jesus Christ. To use that old analogy of the guy on the, the court, basketball court, he left it all on the court. I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, but I'm, I'm going I'm to share this. Y'all got about two more minutes? Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> we performed a beautiful wedding Friday. It was a small wedding, and they're here today. God bless y'all. It was awesome. And we went out to lunch with the small wedding party Friday afternoon, and, and I sat beside Terry Miller. And Terry, I did not ask your permission to share this, but I guess I could ask for your forgiveness at this time. But Terry and I were talking about our children. Y'all know Kyle and Terry Miller, right? And we were talking about our kids, and uh, we were talking about Kristen, how Kristen is doing an interior design degree at the University of Texas, all right? right down the road, wherever Texas is. It's, I think it's that way. Is that right? Like I said, it's over there. So we were talking about how she is doing an interior architectural design degree. And we're talking about she went through Calculus 1, Calculus 2, Physics 1, Physics 2. Now, as a junior, she's gotten a um, an internship in New York City. She's about to spend the summer in New York City in an internship. Then she's going to go to Europe for about six months, all getting this degree. And by the way, 
God's got his hand on her, and she's got some good days coming. She's going to make it through the rigorous discipline of that degree. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. We all want the blessings. We all want the rewards and the fine internships and the high-paying jobs. But how many of us as believers want to do God's calculus? How many of us want to enroll in God's physics and to believe the hard stuff, to believe the difficult things and say, man, this is hard. Lord, I feel like I'm the only person. God, I mean, I, people think I'm really strange, but I, I'm just believing in your book. And it's almost like God says, just hold on. Be faithful. You have no idea what awaits you in glory. Father, I thank you for your word. God, it's awesome. It's powerful. And Lord, it's just downright scary at times when we read it to see that there's a perpetual everlasting hell that our neighbors and our friends will go if they don't have a relationship with you. And God, I believe Jonathan Edwards was right. You are just, God, even in the damnation of sinners. And it's because of your holiness and your righteousness, and God, yet in your mercy, you have given us a way out. But men have loved darkness more than light. And God, I pray that you would reverse that course in their hearts, that they would love light, that they would be born again by the Spirit of God and love light and love Jesus more than the things of this world. Lord, I'm praying today that even now, Holy Spirit, you would just convict and draw people to repentance and draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray that as we stand to our feet and we call people to a commitment to Christ, that there would be many who would give their lives to the Lord. They would escape hell and get off the road leading to damnation and get on the path of righteousness and peace. And thank you, Lord, that they don't have to clean their lives up. They just got to come, and they got to believe, and they got to trust in you that, God, you will work a work in them. You will save them when they only believe and only willing to turn and repent. So, Lord, I pray for them. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you, Lord, for the people you are bringing to be a part of us. And I pray, God, at this next hour that you would bring the, the, the very people that you want to become a part of the Great Hills and this church at Great Hills. And Lord, I pray that you would add to your number, God. Help us to, help us, Lord, to grow. Help us, Lord, to reach. Help us, Lord, to be the church that you're calling us to be, to speak the truth in love, to be a light in the midst of darkness, God, to be a beacon of hope, to be, Lord, that lighthouse in the midst of the ocean that the ships that people are sailing on, they can look and they can see there is a lighthouse, there is a hope, and it's the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be strong. Help us never to back up or to waver. Help me, Jesus, not to back up or to waver, but help us to be strong. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We ask that you bless this invitation. And it's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as we stand. It's a great song. I hope you'll sing it uh, from your heart. Some of you don't need to sing it. Some of you need to come and give your life to the Lord. Brother Terry, why don't you lead us as we sing this great song?